coming year, because I know we're about to, to face that, that time of year when the news media and um, coverage on newspapers will start to have that year in review stuff happening. You know, you'll see the top this or that from 2004, uh, the events, the great events of 2004, all that stuff's going to be upon us here quickly. And I think for you and I, it brings us to that point of transition when we go from one year to the next and lets us ask some questions about our own lives. And we're going to do this whether we do it in a constructive way or we're going to do it because it's just nostalgic. It's part of that time of year to do it. But if you were to kind of become the news for your own life and you were going to print some headlines from 2004... What would those headlines be like for you? What would you even put in the headlines from 2004? Um, you know, sometimes I don't think we, we do this sufficiently because I'm, right now, as I'm asking the question, maybe some of us are going, wow, I don't know. I don't know if I had any headlines. What, uh, what happened in 2004? You know, if you're a sports franchise and you, you live for the season and you... And you've got great moments in sports history that happen throughout the year. Great plays, great preparation, a great, the ultimate game. Uh, but you and I, sometimes we can just start living life and, real, and not realize that we're living for a purpose. And that purpose needs to stay in front of us. And when that purpose is before us, it does affect the headlines of, of what's worthy of us even discussing, what's worthy of us reviewing. But when you look back over your year, was it... Was it a, a, a great year? Was it a lousy year? Was it a successful year? Was it a glorious year? Was it a hard year? You know, even in, the, in using those descriptive words, you and I will need some kind of help to kind of measure the year. How do you know whether it's good? I mean, how, was it good for me to get up the other morning and have a flat tire? Well, ultimately, yes. It was incredibly good. But in that moment, you know, right at the end of that little time span there, it didn't feel all that good. But you and I are in this place now. We're looking back at 2004. And even to assess, was it a good year or not? We're going to need some kind of input and insight from the Lord to be able to do that. Well, let's, let's think for a moment here. Because I'm, I'm, I guess the older I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more of those waxing nostalgic kind of things here. You start realizing significant events and how you feel about your life passing. Um, this time of year for folks is, is typically a, an emotionally harder time of year than others. It's a time when we remember all kinds of things, whether it's family members that aren't here any longer with us. Um, just the, there's a heightened sense of where we are in our life. I think it's that end of the year, beginning of the year thing. We're coming to the close. We're in that place where, you know, we're going to old Lang Syne, that song. We'll kind of sing it and sway back and forth and have that moment of, of you know, thinking through the year. And wow. And in, and in those moments, you and I can sit back and begin to ponder another year has gone by. And I'm still in that same old job. Um, I'm still in a bad marriage. Um, uh, I'm still this or I'm still that. I haven't changed this way. You, can, you, you begin to weigh your life. I'm still single. And, you, and all the emotions that come with summing up your life it comes in that moment too. 
But, you know, there, there's some good things that happen in this time of year, too, because it's a sobering thought to collect time together and think about it, which sometimes we don't take the time to do. A couple of thoughts from Scripture that come to mind about our lives as we close a year out. James chapter 4, verse 14 says, You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And we can appreciate that. You walk outside last night in the cold and breathe and, and you see it and then it's gone. And, you know, the, the older I get, the more I realize that. The younger I was, I just thought every, life was, was smoke in Destrahan. It never disappears. You know, it just kind of fills the sky. But the older I get, the more it just is disappearing. And it's disappearing quickly. Job said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but a breath. So our lives are quickly passing. The pages are quickly turning, and we are quickly coming to a close. And every year, big chunk of time, every year we're reminded of that, and that's set before us. So when you look back, I think in some regards it's, it's difficult to look back without regrets, to look back over 2004 and to ponder for a moment, are there, are there any regrets? Do you have any regret as you come to the end of 2004? Well, actually, what I'm going to close out today encouraging you to do is participate in all the thoughts that are going to come this week through media and news as they review the year. And don't just do a year in review of politics and business world and what took place, but do a personal year in review. Look carefully at your own life over the past year. And one of the things I don't think we'll be able to avoid is regret. Matter of fact, if you look back over 2004 and, and there is no signs of regret for you, I would question whether you are living for anything that means much to you. See, when you live for stuff that you really have a passion for, that is important to you, that is critical to you, uh, when you set those issues into a setting where sin dwells in us, opposition is around us, the world is a hostile environment, in those places... You set high goals and aspirations in that place, and you're going to chronically find that you're falling short in some of those categories. I mean, you just think, I just think over the major categories of my life. At this point for me, life is, life is three simple categories, and it's not much else. It's my walk in pursuit of God. I walk with Him in my pursuit of Him. Uh, my family and the church. And, and there really wouldn't be too much else to me. I'm, that's about as simple as I get. And I could say it, at the end of 2004, in all three categories, I can think of things that I regret about this year. I mean, there's no way I can come to the end of the year and feel like, you know what, Lord? I know you at the end of the year as much as I'd hoped to know you when the year began. No. I know him more but I have regret over not knowing him a whole lot more than I do and over missed opportunities and over wasted time and over things that squeezed in that I deemed as important or that life told me was important. And the same can be true for uh, my family, time with them, investing in them, relating to them. Same can be true of the church, where we have been, what we've accomplished this year, 
issues that needed to be strengthened? Are they in a better place? And you and I are going to stand in this place again a year from now and, and weigh our lives. And that's not a bad thing to do. Now, it can be a dangerous thing to do if you and I get into this slippery area of being undoctrinal, uh, not being biblically informed. See, this is, this is where simple doctrines are incredibly important. If you and I are not comfortable with the fact that you and I have been purchased at a great price and the deal has been settled, that God has welcomed us as children, by His choosing, we didn't work our way in, twist His arm, finally He had to give in, He didn't want the deal, but He welcomed us into being part of the kingdom only because we, well, we just did so well at something that He had to let us in even with all the mess that we were, and He's tolerating us. Now, if you understand doctrinally that God chose you, and then He came after you, and He made you aware of Himself, and He opened the door for you to ever be in relationship with Him, He he secured that, He placed you in covenant with Him, well, then you're secure in your relationship with God. And in that security, now, I can revisit the year 2004 and find all kinds of weaknesses, sin, neglect, issues that I can look at them without wanting to run away, without wanting to feel like, oh, well, I just do that. I just come under such condemnation. You know, I just get so self-condemning when I do that. Well, you, you are missing out on something great. See, I think the Lord wants us to take advantage of regret, not run away from it. I give you three R's to, to solve the issue of regret. Repentance. If the Lord shows you an issue that you regret over the past year, better that you look it straight in the face in order to repent of whatever it is that was in your life that facilitated that. Repentance, uh, regrouping. At this time of year, people will make uh, those promises and vows to do something different in the coming year. New Year's resolutions are going to start popping up. And probably 90% of them are ones that people are revisiting. Made them last year, the year before. You know, we're going to get that stationary bike and use it for more than furniture, hang clothing on. We're really going to use it this year, doggone it. And we're going to eat different and we're going to, uh, we're going to be healthier. I'm going to renew my membership to the spa. You know, all this stuff that lasts through, you know, third week of January tops. This is an opportunity to regroup. And not regroup in the flesh. Regroup because His mercies are new every morning. If His mercies are new every morning, then I'm confident His mercies are new for me in 2005 as I begin to approach those issues too. I need to repent. I need to regroup. I need to re-engage. There's some things that God wants in my life that as I look back over the year, got lost in the shuffle, got squeezed out by an unexpected event, by a tragedy, by some illness, by some pattern, by a habit that got started. All those kind of issues come. And I need to repent of of not having what God places a priority. I need to regroup. I need to receive mercy from God afresh again. But I need to re-engage in some of these areas. And so the remedy... Running out of R's here. The remedy for regret is those three R's. And we need to be able to embrace what God says to us to walk in that. You know, I'm, I'm at the end of the year here, and 
and hopefully you can say this too, that you have lived your life with a passion for certain things and they're the things that God has placed in your heart and in your life. I think what you'll notice, and again, this will be, revisit this as if this is not you. If you're a person right now who says, you know, I don't know that I have any regrets over 2004. I would really, I really would. I would question whether you're living for much. Question whether a lot of things really matter to you a great deal. I don't have regrets over a bunch of things in my life. I mean, even things that are nice. I mean, I, I love to play golf. I don't know if I played golf once in 2004. But you know, th- this week as I survey the year, you know, nobody's going to catch me moping around the office because, you know, Keith, what's wrong? I was just thinking, you know. I played golf once this year, past year. I don't know, I just can't shake it, you know. <laughs> um, Sundays are busy. Uh, this is probably more delight than regret. I and mean, I've missed a lot of the Saints games, you know, which is probably a good thing. Um, you know, I'm not at the end of the year here going, oh, man, I'm just, I don't know, I just feel so condemned, you know. Just missed a lot of Saints games. And, I mean, they were on TV and some were sellouts and they were playing at home and stuff and I could have watched and I just didn't. And, Wow. So you have regrets, not in the categories that don't matter, in the ones that matter. So if you don't have any regrets, it's probably because a lot of stuff just doesn't matter. The kingdom of God matters. Where it is right now, in its advancement, in its place, and in, in the abilities that you and I had to sow into it, that matters. Praying, pursuing God, calling out to Him, standing before a throne of grace. Oh, I could go through a list of categories where I, I have regret if some of those categories weren't better than they were. Now, I'm not saying don't remember that there was much to be thankful about. I mean, there needs to be that. We need to cultivate thankfulness, and we'll see this in this passage we're going to look at today. I'm not going to spend time there. Look, look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Verse 15. I'm going to read a passage, and I'm going to spend time just in... The first two verses. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Boy, you could... You could sit down with the the calendar for 2005 with wanting to establish some goals in your life. And if you spiritually are looking to do more than, you know, make some kind of pledge to eat Special K next year, and you want something really significant spiritually in your life, this verse here is just full of things that I would hope in 2005, Lord, I want to see this stuff happening in my life. And the way Paul begins this, He thrusts into us this role of being careful. This is one of those language elements in the Bible where though we are aware of the sovereignty of God, it is all over Scripture and it gives us confidence that God is at work and we can trust Him and depend upon Him. 
But what it never causes us to do, if we look biblically at it, biblically at it, is to take our hands off the wheel as though our contribution doesn't matter. And therein lies the mystery that we just all need to be comfortable with. Not undo the mystery, not say, well, sovereignty destroys one, or human will destroys the other. But somehow in this, God thrusts the two of them together. So he is at work. 2005, God is sovereign. Anybody here concerned that God is going to fall off the throne in the year 2005? Anybody think that the reign of God ends in 2004? You're freaking out because, ooh, man, Lord, I'm just nervous. I think there could be events in 2005 that that you're not in charge of. No, we know that would be so foolish for us to be standing at this point in the year. But even though that's true, here's an admonition that we are told to look carefully then how you walk. Be full of care in the manner of your life. In examining, look at it, and examine carefully how you are walking. This needs to happen on a regular basis for us. But I think this time of year provides a great opportunity because we're about to kick off a new year. And it's a great time for us. Matter of fact, this is why we do the, the men's retreat in the dead of winter in January. I mean, more pleasant times of the year to do, but we felt like, you know, in the beginning of the year, we feel like men need to regroup in their lives. Men need to set aside time, get with God, hear from God for themselves, for their families, for uh, work-related direction from God, for ministry-related activities, that, so that the next year just doesn't roll along and we just take the, the last several years' worth of Bad practices and habits and just roll them into the next year. Here we go. Another year. Just flip the calendar page. That's all that's happening. No, you and I need a moment where we're going to stop and we're going to consider carefully. We're going to look carefully at how we are living. And, you know, this, this is an odd morning. You know, this is, this is normally the busiest church weekend of the year. As a matter of fact, uh, I guess it was Christmas Eve. We had, had gone out and, <clears throat> you know, get to my house. You have to pass a particular church coming in and going out. This church, you know, normally has a certain number of cars in the parking lot. Well, this was Christmas Eve, and cars were everywhere, parked all on the levee. I mean, they were all over the place. So and multiple services are happening. Every service, cars packed everywhere. It was a traffic jam to drive anywhere near this church. Well, you know, I drive past that church all the time. You know, and I'm watching people. <laughs> I really had to restrain some attitude. I'm watching people. They're walking down the sidewalk on the way in, you know. Getting all, they're all dressed up and stuff going to church. And part of me wants to roll the window down and say, Where are you the rest of the year? You know, all of a sudden, it's like busy church weekend. This is the time where we go and, you know, consider carefully how you walk. You know, showing up for a couple of services hardly qualifies for consider carefully how you walk. Now, now, lest we think that we're really way ahead of the game, showing up for a bunch of services may not include that as well. Too many Christians are just going through life, going through the motions. Same junk in our life year in, year out. Same attitude, same ability to write it off. It's just been there. It's just kind of the way I am. Man, you know, my covenant groups just learned to put up with me. Well, you know, it's, it's time to regroup. It's time to get mercy from God. His mercies are new every morning. God, just keep them. I just wanted to know that they were new. I didn't want to access them. 
I didn't want to be conquered by your mercies. I just wanted to know that they are there. That's all I wanted. No, His mercies are new every morning so you and I can get hold of them and they can get a hold of us. And so here's an admonition that starts with consider, study, look at, carefully. Be full of care about how you are walking. And here's where the admonition takes, takes a little fork here. I think it's actually two things combined together. And there's several thoughts here. I'm only going to go after the first two here. Look carefully in how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I want to look at these two elements of wisdom and time as we go into the next year with the thought that I don't think that we can eliminate regret from our lives, but I do think biblically we can minimize it. I think until I'm in a perfect body before a perfect God where every agenda item happens perfectly without there being loss or suffering or pain or or sin polluting it, that we're going to have regret. But I do think the Bible allows us as the people of God to minimize our regret and maximize our enjoyment of what God has for us in life. And that's the title today, Minimizing Regret, Maximizing Enjoyment in 2005. Let's look at these two elements in this passage here this morning. Be careful, then, how you walk, or look carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. And in any analysis, I'll put this in your outline, any analysis of the manner of our lives must begin by examining the collection of ideas that form the basis for our pursuit of happiness. The foundation for every one of us is we want to be happy. Somebody here who's intentionally pursuing misery. 2005, our feelings, our nostalgia, our end of the year, going into the next year moments have everything to do with, did we feel like 2004 had enough happiness in it? Were there happy events? And to some regard, that's not wrong. I mean, God's interested in our happiness. Very interested. I think the thing where we derail is how are we going to get there? How do we get to happiness? And I think that's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is God's means of getting us to the place of of blessed happiness, of enjoyment, of the place where God has put something in us that brings what's in these verses here, that singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that, that content of the life, that attitude that permeates who I am needs to come from somewhere. What's, it's to come from God. And there's supposed to be a wise path that's going to lead me into those places where I experience that. But herein lies the challenge. Because out of some form of ideas that you and I have bought into, we're living our lives. We're choosing a career. We're going to work. We're buying something. We're borrowing to have something. We're spending time with certain people to the neglect of other people. All that has some ideas attached to it. And when you boil life down, you and I are kind of quickly, quickly measuring things. Opportunity comes, no to that, yes to that, no to that, yes to that. What's all that about? Because I think all the things I'm saying yes to are going to ultimately pursue some happiness for me. I think I have better odds of being happy by saying yes to that and no to that. That's how we pursue these things. And so there's a collection of ideas here. But we need to be careful because the Bible describes wisdom in a generic sense as this collection of ideas that can come from more than one place. Remember James chapter 3? Who among you is wise and understanding? 
Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, demonic. So there's, there's more than one place that you and I can get some ideas on how to live. Used to be years ago, years ago. Philosophers, people who were cultural revolutionaries, great figures in history, religious leaders, they were the source of ideas. And people, people grasped these ideas and began to try and work them out in their own lives as a means, a path that's going to make life meaningful, happy. Today, if you sit, sit and think, what, where is the... Where is the philosophical wisdom coming from today? You know, we live in such a society that's got so many megaphones attached to so many mouths. It used to be, I mean, really, years ago, very few people had a voice that was big enough and could be heard by enough people for there to be a significant following. Today, everybody under the sun has got some means of publicizing something that they're saying or doing. And the sad thing is, some of these goofballs need to be quiet. <laughs> they need to go sit down somewhere. Athletes and, and musicians who get a stage and a platform to say things about life. I'm thinking, oh, what qualifies you? I'm not sure your sport involves any thinking. <laughs> when did you get qualified to explain to us how life is significant? People who can't even master the English language, who write rap music, who are, who are shaping the way people think. But you, you can't even speak in a way that anybody can understand you. You don't have anything to say, but yet there's thousands and millions of teens and young people following the ideas that are being worn, spoken about, promoted and applauded all over. Whether it's actors, actors who are entered the political arena, begin to speak in those categories as, as though you, you play a fictitious person. <laughs> well, you're not even real in whoever you are as a famous person. When did you become qualified to tell us how we should vote to shape our future and our lives? <clears throat> Talk show hosts. You know, again, I, I, I'm not just picking on the really obnoxious ones. I, I just happened to be trying to catch the weather the other day. I'm driving in the car, and so I turn on the news station, and, and Rush Limbaugh is on. And some woman calls in, and I wanted to throw up. This woman calls in and she just starts lauding over Rush and Rush, you know, you've been on the air for 16 years and we're just hoping for 16 more and I just cannot put into words what you have meant to me in my life. I just would never have made it. And she went on and on and on. I wanted to throw up. I mean, now listen, I think Rush is entertaining. I think, you know, again, I've told you before, I love people who can dig at ideas and pull stuff out and go, oh, wow, <laughs> he beat that debate point. Now that's great. Uh, I, I enjoy that kind of sparring. But let's be reasonable. That, that is, this is life-shaping stuff? You're getting philosophy on happiness from Rush Limbaugh? You know, Rush just really isn't speaking about that which is eternal and matters the most. He's making a lot of noise about temporary things. But yet, all this is out there. Wisdom is up for grabs in so many categories today from so many people who are unqualified 
My goodness, if you buy the right product from Ronco, your life could be happy in 2005. I hope you bought them while they were on sale here at Christmas time. But that's, that's what's out there. So there's a lot of wisdom out there for us, but it's not necessarily that which comes from above. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs obviously is our wisdom book, and it speaks about wisdom in a certain way that if in 2005, we need to grasp a couple of these points real quickly. For 2005, for if we're going to lay hold of wisdom, be careful about how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. So critical for our walk is that you and I get wisdom. Get some ideas that are going to work. Get something from God that is going to work in our life. Proverbs 2, verse 1. It says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Now, interesting how the Bible says that. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. If in 2005 you and I are going to encounter the wisdom of God, it is going to be because we were intentional about it. If you survey 2004, you're just not going to find a lot of wisdom that you bumped into by accident. And if you do, and I think God is gracious to us, it was probably just the the feeder band of something that was much larger that God wanted you to pursue wholeheartedly. Because according to the Bible, I am needing, if I'm going to really experience wisdom from God, I'm needing these components. I'm needing to be able to incline my heart and, and have my ear be attentive. Now, when you doctrinally understand the condition that you and I are in, it makes sense. The natural man is not prone to want the wisdom of God. You know, without the work of the Spirit, again, this Ephesians 5 passage, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All these things need the dominating influence of the Spirit for them ever to occur in us in this coming year. But apart from God's working by His grace, by the Spirit in me, in the natural, I don't want the wisdom of God. My ear doesn't want, it's deaf, and doesn't want to even hear from God. My mind is hostile to God, the Bible says. Right, remember Romans, our study in Romans? In Romans chapter 1, this is the natural outcome for man. The wrath of God, verse 18 of chapter 1, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So we're truth suppressors. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. See, here God, God makes accessible this knowledge of Him that's all around His creation. But man doesn't want it. You look down further, there's this whole passage here, verse, eight, verse 28 in that first chapter of Romans. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. The Greek actually means since they did not see fit to have God in their knowledge. See, man's accessing information. We, we're all over the place grabbing information. But in the natural, you and I won't go after the wisdom of God. So this is where it becomes critical that if, if I'm going to heed, look carefully at my life, and I'm going to realize don't live as an unwise person, live as a wise person, I'm going to have to be spiritually intentional about encountering the wisdom of God and having it active in my life. Because if I take my hands off the wheel, 
My natural man will not steer me towards the wisdom of God. It won't take me there. Now remember, these bodies, at one point, we're going to put these bodies off and we're going to put on glorified bodies. Right? That's what the Bible tells us. So in that day, I'm not going to have to be fighting this, the body that I'm in in order for godliness to occur in me. But in this body, I do. The spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another and they wage war against each other. So for wisdom to prevail, biblical wisdom to prevail, then I'm going to have to wage war on my flesh. And I'm going to have to pursue the wisdom of God at some cost and resistance. Know this going into 2005. Right? You know, you're going to pick up your, okay, it's January 1. Where's that Bible through the year thing? I'm going to do it this year, doggone it. It's January 1, here we go. Well, know this. Don't, you know, this is not fine print in the Bible. It's, it's, the, it's the headlines. You know, go read Galatians chapter 5, about verse 17 on. And see, there is a battle. There is a war. So if you and I decide in 2005, I'm going to encounter the wisdom of God. I'm, I'm out after it. I'm going to pursue it with my heart. I'm going to incline my ear. My heart is going to be attentive to the wisdom of God. Well, know that you've got a big war on your hands. You have a battle that's going to take place. And at the end of 2005, you expect to, to minimize regret in the category of how well did I pursue the wisdom of God, which is the basis for how I live. If I want to minimize regret, I have a real war on my hands that I'm going to need to be filled with the Spirit in order to arrive there. Continue in Proverbs 2, if you still got your finger there. Verse 3. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. And this is how you and I are to view the pursuit of wisdom. It is a search for hidden treasures. And if you've been saved for a while and your heart is to pursue God, then you know the more you know, the more you get convinced you don't know very much. And you started off thinking that there was a little bit to discover, and the more you've walked, you've realized, oh my goodness, I, I'm losing pace. There's so much more to know than I ever thought about God that there's still more for me to pursue this year. It's not as though I'm like, well, you know, I've been saved 20-something years now. and Oh, man, I don't really know. 2005, I'm kind of thinking of cruising, you know. Kind of, I've got, I've got a lot of knowledge about God. I've read a lot, read the scriptures and studied, and you know, I think I'm pretty set for the year. So I don't know. I'm thinking probably a lot more golf this year. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, no, I'm thinking. I'm convinced. I'm living in 2004, knowing that man, I have I have glimpsed at the tip of a glacier of God and who He is, and it's left me wanting to see what else is beneath the surface. What else of God is there that I'm only just tasting the slightest element of? Searching for it like it's treasure. Uh, there's there's a, a movie that's out. It's interesting. It's an action movie that, that managed to pull off not being offensive. It's called National Treasure. And it's a story about a family who has for years been pursuing this treasure that is supposed to be, some people believe it's a myth, some believe it's real, uh, but it's wrapped up in the history of the nation, and it's this incredible treasure. But what you find out about there, you, you see this one guy who begins the movie, and he's looking for this treasure, 
And it's this obsession. I mean, he's like in some polar region somewhere looking for clues to find this treasure. And he finds one after another after another. And finally, his, one of his relatives tells him, you're a fool and an idiot. You're just the next person in our lineage of family members who wrecked their whole life chasing after some treasure that doesn't exist. Well, what was interesting, he was convinced that it did, as did his relatives. So for generation after generation, they just... They just abandoned their whole life to this one quest, pursuing this treasure. Traveled all over the world, spent their income, spent their lives, held menial jobs in order to get that thing. And it's this obsession with this treasure that drove this person's life. And here's what the Bible says about wisdom. You and I are supposed to have a life that's obsessed with wisdom, obsessed with getting it, obsessed with laying hold of God's ideas and living for that, having our lives involve Menial tasks that won't get in the way of you and I pursuing the knowledge of God. When we pursue it that way, then, the Bible says, then, verse 5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, that's where you and I are going to find wisdom. 2005, to get wisdom means to get a hold of God. He's the one with the wisdom. It's not ideas out there. It's not secondhand books that we read. It's not uh, modeling our life after somebody who spoke very confidently, was on TV, had a history that's kind of like ours, turned their life into something great. That's not where I'm to find wisdom. If I search for it as treasure, devote my life to obtaining it, I'm going to find it comes out of the mouth of God. And so in 2005, if I want to pursue the treasure that's in God's wisdom, I am going to find it here. I'm going to find it through spending time here with Him. I put some thoughts in your outline there about the supreme value of wisdom that the Bible highlights. Proverbs 4, turn there real quickly. Proverbs 4 reminds us about a couple of things when we go to pursue wisdom. Verse 5 says, Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. What does the word acquire connotate to you? What is it? You don't have it, huh? You acquire things that you don't have. So I, I need to be informed that I am in, I'm in acquisition mode. I'm going to need to, in 2005, acquire wisdom. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forget or turn away. Now this would be all of us. We have learned some things. Been saved for years. Have experienced God in many ways. We have read. We have studied. We have been in umpteen services, conferences. Uh, God has revealed things to us. Whether it's been in a setting like this or whether it's been in a small group or just driving in our car, God turned on revelation. And wisdom came to us in that moment. And looking back, we forgot. We forgot it. So this year, I really can't, I've, I've, I'm probably convinced I've forgotten more things than I've learned. Just God just showing up and stuff just falling out of our heads as we move along in life. So I know I'm going to need to acquire wisdom because I've forgotten a lot of things that God has revealed through the years. But here's this other little thought. Don't turn away from it. <clears throat> acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away 
Forgetting is one thing. Turning away is a little bit different of an issue. Turning away is when you're aware that wisdom is there, but you just don't want to get it. Ever notice that sometimes wisdom is a party pooper? You know, wisdom shows up. You know, you're having your moment. You got your dreams going. You just, you know, your emotions are kicked in. You are excited. You're, you're impulsively wanting to buy this thing, venture out into that thing, make a decision into a relationship. Uh, and just your emotions, you just feel good about this thing. And, and wisdom stands over there in the corner like some gray-bearded old man. And this party pooper. It's like, in those moments, you and I know they're there. In those moments, we don't want to hear from wisdom. We just want to, I just, you know, well, why can't I just? This is, you know, prepare any of you, younger people in particular, if you ever come in for marriage counseling, you're not married, but you're wanting to pursue marriage, um, you will be introduced to Mr. Party Pooper as you pursue counseling. Uh, And here's why. Because we want you to be equipped with wisdom in your decisions. Now, notoriously, and if some of you are probably here, you'll remember our marriage counseling sessions, uh, where I told you from the outset, I'm going to play the role of the bad guy. You're excited. All your relatives are excited. You've announced you're pursuing marriage. Everybody has said, oh, I've been praying and fasting for two years. I have a word for you. Uh, no, what did they do? You said you're getting married. They went, oh, congratulations. <laughs> That's wonderful. Kate, come over. They're getting married. That's a big deal. They're not thinking about there's a wise way to build this and there's a foolish way to build it. There's wisdom that comes from above and there's that which is earthly, natural, and demonic. There's building plans in all these categories. And our passion is that you build wisely because you're going to live with that thing for the rest of your life or you're going to live in the severe regret that you didn't build it right and it fell apart on you. So in the beginning, before too many building material pieces get set in place and the concrete begins to get formed, uh, we want to dump some wisdom into your lap. But wisdom stands like a party pooper, I'm telling you. Wisdom comes along and says, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Are you prepared for this? You know, historically, you've been this way. Have you thought about how to deal with that? And whatever it is, whether it's, you know, you're getting married or you want to buy this thing or you want to change careers or you just want to do something, whatever it is, Wisdom stands and it brings a bunch of information that our emotions stand back and go, I don't talk to him, man. He's just going to kill the fun. That's turning away from wisdom. That's you knowing it's there. But, and and I've just heard, I mean, I just know there there are folks who will want to pursue a decision and I'll just eventually hear it. It's going to bounce us off enough lies until it comes back. And, you know, you hear it, it's it's, questionably whether it's a good decision or not. And you know it, and, well, why didn't, why didn't they come talk about it? Well, they didn't want to talk to you or Peter about it. <laughs> well, why? Because we're, we're Mr. and Mr. Party Pooper. You know, we're going to say, well, have you thought about this, thought about that, thought about You know, we're not trying to dictate your life. You've got to make the decisions about your life, but trying to bring some biblical insight into what well, you consider these things as you're making that decision. Well, it kind of takes the, well, we just want you to stick that thing in your mouth and go, Boo! Boo! 
Great decision. That's great. That's great. Send us the postcard. That's excellent. When do you want? You want the church at this day? You want what? That's not always wise. And so people in your life who are playing a role of wisdom, don't turn away from that. In 2005, don't run away from wisdom. Wisdom comes into your life. Embrace it wholeheartedly. Build with it. All right, let me scoot off wisdom here and get to the issue of time real quickly. Make the best use of time. 2005, you and I need to be very careful about how we're going to use time. John MacArthur says, Paul pleads for us to make the most of our time immediately after he pleads for us to walk wisely rather than foolishly. Outside of purposeful disobedience of God's word, the most spiritually foolish thing a Christian can do is to waste time and opportunity. See, there's this, this element where time and wisdom grow. It's like they grow towards each other, like they're rooted in each other. When you're unwise, you misuse time. And if you misuse time, you will not grow in wisdom. So the two of them are kind of rooted together. So that's why I think, you know, of all the richness that's in this passage, I just want to hit on these two issues coming into the next year. Our pursuit of wisdom and our use of time in the coming year. MacArthur goes on and says, For many people, including many Christians, life can be a series of unfinished symphonies. Even in the familiar opportunities of everyday Christian living, those who are truly productive have mastered the use of the hours and days of their lives. So there is a sense that you and I, in the coming year, if, if the days and hours of our lives are out of control, they're not guided, they're not under the, the Spirit's dominance in our lives, then you and I are not going to grow in wisdom, and then therefore, at the end of the year, we're going to be full of regret. The misuse of time will open the door for alternative ideas, shortcuts, things that weren't God, for us to pursue in myriad of categories. And God's desire is that we would use time wisely, we would have wisdom in how we use our time. But interesting word here Paul uses for time. In the Greek, there's a couple of different words for time. Uh, this one is the word kairos, time. And I put some definitions in your outline. Kairos, in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, means season, an opportune time. It is not merely a succession of minutes, which is the Greek word chronos, but a period of opportunity. And we get the word chronological from uh, uh, the idea that is associated with watches and clocks and calendars, chronological time, just the measuring of time and its passing, keeping track of it. But kairos is a different word, and it has to do more with a season than it does with measuring time. <clears throat> the term then has a sense of a decisive moment, again with positive, neutral, or negative implications, Though the positive one of fortune is the most common. Fortune in this sense is not faith, but the chance that must be boldly grasped. So it's a word, as a matter of fact, I think the NIV translates the word opportunity in there. I got an NIV, I think it says opportunity. Because that's kind of what it is. There's an opportunity. There's an opportune moment. There's a season of opportunity is what kairos is about. The word kairos in the Greek actually was used to describe a Greek god. And the description of this Greek god had, out of the front of his head grew this long lock of hair. He was this odd-shaped person. Out of the back of his head was bald. 
And the significance of Kairos, the god Kairos, was like he was like opportunity. And when opportunity comes, there's a moment when you can seize him, but once he passes, you can't grasp him anymore. And that's what Kairos, that time element, is like. <clears throat> there's a moment for us to grasp something in time, and there's a moment when we miss it. And we need to make the best use of our time, our Kairos. Napoleon said, there is in the midst of every great battle a 10 or 15 minute period that is the crucial point. Take that period and you win the battle. Lose it and you will be defeated. Well, that's what Kairos time is about. It's about seizing the time when there is opportunity. Question here, have you stopped to carefully consider the season of opportunity that you are currently in? See, in 2005, all of us in this room are going to find ourselves in a certain season of our lives. And by God's sovereign purpose, there are, there are reasons that you and I are in this particular time, this particular Kairos setting. God has placed us in a certain time place. And this is true in the past as well. But, but like many of us, we look back, and this is where regret can come in. Opportunity has come and gone. And we don't like to think that way because it makes us very uncomfortable. We get uncomfortable with the idea that, well, there was, this, there was this moment for me to grasp and it's gone. And this is why this is uncomfortable for us. Because if it was, the, it was a moment in our life, let me make it a big moment. In a year previous to this point, a significant opportunity came for you. The job of all jobs for you potential spouse came. And the opportunity came. And for whatever reason, and there can be reasons where spiritually we were just out of step with the Lord and that lived our lives in step with Him. We were not discerning what the will of God is. Remember, these passages that we read, they have teeth in them. And you don't lose those teeth because God is sovereign. When these scriptures bite you, they leave bite marks because they're real. Right, there's a reason why there's an admonishment here. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're cruising along through life. We're loving this thing. We're overindulging in that. We're wasting time over in this thing. But we're not understanding what the will of the Lord is in many, many categories. And so then here comes Kairos opportunity. This opportune time comes. This decision comes. And we miss it. And it's passed. And you and I stand now and we look back at that. And we hate the idea that, oh, how do I look at that? I can't even look upon that. Because then I feel like, well, I'm just... I'm living in some second best chapter of my life now. I'm living in some job that I've, you know, I've missed. My opportunity has come and gone. See, this is where our doctrine has to, has to, has to inform us. Because in that moment, my hope for the future, which was true before that opportunity, Kairos opportunity came, my hope wasn't whether I could seize the moment. My hope was in the God whose mercies are new every day. But I missed that decision. Yeah, and the God whom you serve, his mercies are new every day. I go into 2005. I have regrets about 2004. Regrets about seasons of life before that. Decisions perhaps that were made. I, I need to lay a hold of the God who's going to prepare me to lay a hold of opportunities in this coming year. But I need to face them. I need to face the fact that I've been irresponsible with time. I've been lazy. I've not pursued the will of God. 
I've not sought to have the wisdom of God active in my life. I need to face that. I need to be very uncomfortable with that. I need to taste regret so that I can repent and have a year that won't repeat those things and regroup under the mercy of God and re-engage the whole process. Because there's opportunities this year. In this room, there are opportunities. You are in a season. And sometimes we either ignore the season, we're unaware of the season, or we're wishing the season away because it's a hard season. Well, in the midst of that season, don't, don't overlook what God's saying. This, this make the best use of your time you know, is, is that, it's that marine thing, carpe diem. Seize the day. That's what this is saying. Seize the day. There's coming an opportunity. Seize the day. No matter what season of life you're in, you're going to be in a season this year. There's not too many young people here this morning. Adolescents are in a season of their lives. Pivot people. You're in a season of your life. Seize the day. Don't be cruising through that, that zone of your life. Just, well, you know, I know huge decisions are just lurking right, on the, right in the shadows. I'm going to make the biggest decisions of my life within a few years. You have an opportunity. You best be preparing for that opportunity. You best be placing wisdom in your heart. Getting ready for those decisions. Living your life like in the year 2005. Even if you're not going to decide as a person who's, in, person who's in that pivot range of life. Maybe you're not going to decide on the ultimate career. Maybe you're not going to make a decision for marriage. But, but you're going to do something to prepare yourself for the day that you are going to make that decision. And that might be 2006. It might be 2007. But how you spend 2005 is going to posture you for that day. Seize the day. You know what most people seize it? You know, I hate to use a Greek god as a picture here. They, they seize it when it's past and it's clear in their mind. Oh! And they think they can still grasp it. You know, the time for you to prepare for, for, to make big decisions is in the preparation time, not when it's right on top of you. You know, all of a sudden, I'm being offered a raise and a promotion if I'll move to Canton, Ohio. You know, I really need to get serious about discerning the will of God. Oh, well, you know, actually, you needed to get serious about discerning the will of God long before that decision arrived at your doorstep. Because now, if you try and read a book on how to find the will of God as fast as you can, so by the end of the week you can give that employer an answer, your emotions are so heightened. Your decisions are so bouncing off the wall. You're not, you're not in a great spot in that moment. But see, there was a time for you to seize the day of preparation for that day to come. Preparation that would have guarded you. Preparation that would have prepared you for that day. And that, that's true no matter where you are. Pivot range, you, you know, whether you're in the family rearing stage of life, you're... You're married, you have children. There's a season of that. There's opportunities coming this year that I want to be ready for those opportunities. I want to live in them wholeheartedly. I want to grasp them completely. I don't want to get at the end of the year and look back and go, oh man, I missed so many opportunities with my wife, with my children, to invest in them, to care for them, to deposit something in their lives. I don't want to look back. I know I'm going to have regret, but I want to minimize it. And I'm going to need to seize the opportunity, seize the day in those categories of my life. In the church, in ministry. I don't want to look back at the end of next year and look at the church and what it could be, what it could be in this category, in this activity, in this outreach, in this ministry over here. I don't want to look back and go, oh, Lord, lots of regret. There's opportunities. There's opportunities coming this year for this church that are going to pass 
and we're either going to grab them and make the best use of our kairos, or we're going to miss some of them. And, and I want to be ready. I want to be ready going into this year. And, and maybe, you know, there's some here that you're, you're in those later years of life. You're in a season. You're in a kairos time. Do you realize there's something for you to grab in 2005? You don't, don't, don't feel like, well, you know, a, a lot of what the church does or a lot of life in general is scripted for people who are younger, different level of energy, different types of things going on in their life. No, God has something for you to seize and lay hold of. If you're in the grandparenting years, if you're in the empty nest years, and there's a bunch of folks going through that. Families, you know, your kids are growing and they're out of the house and you're just going to all of a sudden, it's just husband and wife. And the kids are gone. I mean, they're still around, but they're not in your home the same way anymore. Well, this is a Kairos moment. There's something about what God's doing in your life in 2005 that God's saying, lay hold, make the best use of your time. For whatever season you find yourself in, in your life. Let me close with a couple of questions here. When you look back over your year, and I hope you will do that this year, this week. Can you identify intentionality regarding wisdom in your life? Matt, go ahead and come up. I don't want to stop. Can you identify... Places where you have been intentional about inclining your heart towards God to receive wisdom. Being attentive to the voice of God to speak wisdom in your life. Have you established a meeting with God in such a way that wisdom is an object of your pursuit? The Bible says that, that wisdom is more valuable than gold and silver. You know, I know this morning some questionable icy conditions here kept people away perhaps wisely so in some regards but you also know that we live a life that you know if there's two extra bumps in the road on the way to that particular thing over there I'm, I'm not going to do that thing but if we were giving away gold and silver this morning <laughs> we had cash on hand just going to give it away people would have driven across ice they would have gone and bought snow tires to get here <laughs> But if we're just going to just open up the wisdom of God, well, you know. See, we value gold and silver in a way that we need to be careful that we have not displaced the wisdom of God as a secondary element. It's more valuable than gold and silver. In this coming year, I need, I want, and I desire for myself and for you that I would pursue wisdom at a greater pace and with a greater passion that I would pursue the stuff in life possessions, money, activities. Wisdom leads to life. And in this past year, as you revisit this year, don't be afraid to acknowledge opportunity passed me by. I lived in a season this year, whatever category it was in, and, and I did not seize the day in that season. Face the regret of that head on. Don't, don't minimize it. Don't make it a, well, you know, there was just a lot of reasons. Well, I'm sure there were a lot of reasons. But face the regret of it head on so that in 2005, you can repent, regroup, 
re-engage, receive mercy that is new every morning from God. Pursue this wisdom in this passage, the insight of being filled with the Spirit so that this year's regrets don't get repeated next year. We launch into a new year, seizing the day together. Let's stand up together. Lord, thank you for truths about you that are larger than the events and issues of our lives. Lord, I thank you that this morning we find ourselves in a season, this week we will do this, where we'll revisit another year of our life has come and gone. And it seems more and more like a vapor every day each year passing more quickly more things gone by more days that we can't repeat Lord as we stand in that moment we can certainly assess our lives and find weakness find sin find habits that began this past year or that got started again. We never thought they would. Lord, we can find issues of regret over this past year. But Lord, thank you for truths about you that are bigger than those things. Thank you for your mercy. Your mercy that found us in the beginning and has not changed. Thank you that we stand this morning. Those who have seized the opportunity to say yes to you as Savior, have found themselves in the category of being the recipients of mercy from now and forever. We are objects of your mercy. So Lord, that's a bigger truth than our failures over this past year. And it gives us a sense of hope to grab hold of you in the beginning of this year, knowing that, Lord, you haven't folded your hands, gone in the corner, refused to come out and play because we were such bad little children last year. Your mercies are new again for us. Lord, help us. Help us in 2005 to seize the opportunities of our lives where you have placed us. We are sovereignly in a place by your plan. We're at a particular age, at a particular time, with particular people in and around us, with all their strengths and weaknesses and failings and needs. We've had circumstances that have led us to this point. Lord, you are sovereignly in these moments with us. And you are standing and saying, carefully, carefully look at your life. And don't be unwise, but be wise and make the best use of your time. Seize the days that I have ordained for you in the coming year. Lord, may it be that the end of the year, we will stand next year profoundly aware of having seized opportunities one after another to see your glory come and reign in our lives. Lord, 
do this that we might stand in awe of you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Can we, as quickly as possible, move to...